Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stay in and listen to this podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and this week we're once again going to have to do something different because the hot topic in football is that there's still no football because of the coronavirus and therefore we're going to have to discuss all the potential ramifications for a season that may or may not come to a natural conclusion. That means it's time for more if, buts and maybes. I don't know what will happen, nor does Cole, nor does Drew, but we're going to do our very best to make sense of it all. More importantly though, we've once again got a full house and that means leading the line this week and wearing the captain's armband is Cole. So Cole, it's been a while, but how have you been since we last spoke? Uh, not too bad then, getting a little bit bored of the four walls right now, you know, thankfully got a bit of a garden to escape into, but um, desperately missing some football and glad to be having this uh, quick chat with you guys to kind of get some form of normality back. Yeah, we're all missing the beautiful game and of course I cannot forget your strike partner either, that's Drew. Uh, from across the pond, I hope you're uh, staying safe as well, mate. How have you been? I've been doing good. I'm trying to stay as safe as I can over here in the States. And it, it's very strange to wake up on Saturdays and Sundays and have no Premier League, no football to watch. It's the only time in my life that there's ever not been sports for this extended period. So it's really strange, but I'm glad to hear your guys' voices and I'm glad to be back doing the show with you. Cheers, mate. Right, I best do some social media bits first, otherwise we'll be talking to the abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And I must apologise to the shareholders that you've had no content for, I think, four weeks now, due to a mixture of illness, not a lot of action, forgetting the day of the week last week. We're back. That's the most important thing. So thanks for sticking with us. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like it, leave a review. And of course, if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right then, there's not been a ball kicked unless you're in the footballing hotbed of the Belarus, but there's still plenty to talk about. And Cole, let's start with our beloved Tottenham, because it may have taken a boatload of pressure from fans and supporters' trust and the like, but they finally decided to reverse the decision to furlough the staff. 
which means, thankfully, we can now go back to being the people's club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so there's an interesting take there, isn't it, Dan? The people's club. Well, <laughs> yeah, stretching a bit. The of people's it. club with the people's chairman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The <laughs> finest, the finest chairman in the world at the moment. <laughs> no, it is. At least we can say, thankfully, kind of some sense has come around, hasn't it? And and what really is the right decision has been made. Um, Obviously, I know there's lots of things around, well, you know, no one actually knows the sort of financial situation. And as much as on paper, you can look like you've got lots of money. The reality with cash flow and everything, we know football coming in is actually quite different. You know, I think Alan Sugar did a... um, an interview with someone recently where, you know, he said he kind of fears that teams like Burnley, Wolves and that if football doesn't come back within the next few months or so, that there's a fear that those clubs could actually go to the wall. Um, But you would like to think when you're, when chairman and that are earning sort of seven, eight million pound a year and have been for a couple of years, you would like to think a club like Spurs could dip into some resources one way or another and make sure that those people that probably, you know, need that help financially and need that money at least can see themselves through this period until something gets back to normal. And and basically those that have the wealth can kind of chip in every now and then when it's needed and help those people out. So thankfully the right decision has, has been come to. Obviously it's only probably happened because of a lot of the peer pressure and reputation pressure. I don't think Daniel Levy's a man who would have budged too easily on this. So, you know, you, we've had the Tottenham Trust have also put, you know, a bit of pressure on as well. So, thankfully, it looks like they've kind of taken that all on, made the right decision, and now those people are going to get some financial help when it, it's, you know, massively needed for those people. So, great news. Um, it's just a shame that it kind of took the kind of battering that we did do in the press to kind of force this decision. Obviously, Joe, I'm being flippant in the statement of the People's Club because I think we're far from that. And I think <laughs> the image of Tottenham, how much damage has been done? Because I think a lot of people aren't really going to praise Daniel Levy. As Carl says, the right decision has been made in perhaps the wrong circumstances. So the wider football fraternity have also sort of raised their hands and said, no, we don't like this. So will Tottenham have a cross to bear for quite a while now? Is the damage done? I actually think no. I don't think this is going to hurt Spurs' reputation at all. And the reason I say that is because I get the impression that a lot of this anger about it was aimed more at Levy as opposed to the club. And, and I think regardless of the decision that he would have made, assuming you know he, he was the final decision maker, I think people were going to get mad at him anyways because he's much maligned and people do not like the way he's run the club for however many years now it's been. And – I don't think let, – let's just say, just for the sake of argument, that Spurs did not reverse their decision, furloughed the staff, was not paying anyone. I don't think that was going to keep fans from attending matches. I don't think that was going to turn sponsors away. I don't think it would stop them from signing a player because he thought the club was not treating supporters in the right way or anything. So I actually don't think it, – it, I don't think there's that – much reputational damage done to Spurs, especially because, like you said, we're joking the People's Club and everything. Um, I I just don't see that. If anything, and and I hope I'm not getting ahead of us in the conversation for today's show, is I think reinstating staff and paying them 
might actually hurt them more long term financially and might lead to the thing like to, you know, selling Harry Kane or Young Minson or things like that. And so I actually think long term, this isn't the right move for Spurs. And I know I am in a very, very infinitesimally small minority with that opinion. But again, I I actually don't think that reversing the decision is going to help Spurs that much short term. It's not helping them reputationally, and I don't think it's going to help them long term. And again, I think a lot of this anger was just because people don't like Daniel Levy. Yeah, I guess that's a very fair point in the sense that it's using that as another stick to beat Daniel Levy with. So also, I think there's... And in fairness, he, he, in fairness, he probably does deserve to get beaten with a stick for a lot of different things. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, but this one, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough... Well, I mean, obviously you've got a duty to your staff. And I think in the sense of the way that Premier League clubs are perceived with a sort of a wash of money, you are sort of thinking to yourself, why is a club with that much revenue, especially Tottenham, with all their sort of record profits and that, you think, hang on, that doesn't really sort of sit very well. But of course, Cole, Tottenham aren't the only club to be stung by something of a media backlash. And I know it happened the week before, but, you know, we've had nothing else to sort of talk about. So let's talk about Liverpool. They also have their sort of fingers burnt by this. So I guess it begs the question, should any Premier League club be using a government scheme of this kind? I guess, obviously, I say, I guess the problem is, isn't it, as much as we think the game is awash with football and everything like that, I guess without actually, you know, games taking place, fans going in, spending the money, once you suddenly take, you know, the players' wages and not, you know, don't have that revenue of tickets, merchandise, you know, on the day sales, then I guess, unfortunately, there are quite a few clubs who are probably now sitting there actually going, hold on. We're a little bit close here because these players are still taking their full salary, but we we haven't got the gate receipts or that now that we would be relying on that probably plays pays most of that or a massive chunk. So I think for the top clubs, possibly the real, real top echelon clubs, I think they can see this through. I think the problem comes when you look at the likes of, say, maybe Norwich, um, Burnley, if you look at someone like Bournemouth, when you consider Bournemouth's finances, can they actually take this massive hit for, for far too long without before it actually becomes a real problem for them? Um, who knows? But you would like to think that, you know, maybe these clubs should really have the reserves that can cover at least until we hope this is over, possibly, say, at worst, maybe another couple of months. Um but you just don't know, I guess, you know, unless you're seeing those finances on paper, you know, it, it's hard to tell whether, you know, Spurs and Liverpool initially were taking the right action or, you know, other clubs were trying to save face and look good. But then in a few months time, they're going to be banging trouble. You know, we've seen not just in football, but there are businesses now saying that, you know, the money has just disappeared um, and, and other businesses and big businesses in the financial world are, you know, the the losses that they're saying they're recording at the moment are worrying. So as much as I guess we all think football's a wash, maybe there are some clubs that now are on, on the brink or possibly will be in the space of another couple of months. Um, but I'd like to think clubs like Liverpool and Spurs should have had that, should have the, the money there to not have to do that. The interesting thing will be, won't it, you know, if suddenly football comes back, do these clubs who potentially, like, you know, if Spurs were saying they didn't have the funds to pay staff, do they then, when the transfer window open, goes and blow 50, 60 million on one player? Because then you sit there and say, well, hold on. 
if you didn't have money to pay some staff for a couple of months, where's this 60 mil suddenly come from that you're able to buy this, well, you know, this footballer for that sort of money? And I think quite rightfully, people would have said, you know, if a football club needs to furlough its staff, then should they be allowed to enter a transfer window um, and spend funds that they reportedly didn't have a few months back? I think the Premier League may be okay, but the lower leagues, I think there could be some clubs in real trouble if this goes on much longer. Yeah, because I think in terms of the PFA and the EFL, I think League 1 and League 2 are going to be okay in the sense of they're going to do some sort of wage trimming. But you look at the Championship and the way that they spend, you know, I think like turnover in terms of all their wages, and sometimes it's, you know, like more than what they're getting turnover, it goes out in wages. So you think even with a wage deferral system, the championship are probably sort of really sort of thinking, right, hang on, this is going to get a bit tight. So, you know, we don't want to see another Berry. Obviously, they were much different circumstances, but the longer this goes on, is there going to be enough money in the pot to go around for everyone? I mean, everyone's a, a Twitter accountant at the moment and we're all doing the sums, but you sort of, like you say, Carl, you don't really know the, the churn or the burn rate of money when there's no income coming in and it's really sort of to the wall at the moment. But, Drew, that leads us to the subject of wage deferrals and donations and such like that. So this has been a bit of a political football in this country, in the UK at the moment. And with football players, they're always a bit of an easy target. And they have been in this past week. So what's the best way that this can be dealt with? Do you introduce a blanket levy, not Daniel Levy, but, you know, a levy, a tax? Or does it need to be dealt on a club by club basis and they can sort of decide where money goes to? I think it has to be done on a club by club and player by player basis basis i agree with carl that you know for clubs if they say they can't afford to pay staff now and they're gonna do wage deferrals and then they're gonna go spend you know 100 200 million in in the transfer window whenever that is that to me does look bad so i I think that would be a problem um but I, i also think that footballers and clubs they're easy targets yes because of the money they make But I think it's more because they're in the spotlight, right? There's plenty of companies that make tons more money than Spurs, than, you know, uh, Liverpool or whoever. But they're not in the public limelight in the same way that football is. And so I think that's a big issue. I personally do not want to see the government step in and levy a tax or, you know, put out some sort of decree about what footballers need to contribute or need to pay or clubs or anything like that. I don't like that. I believe in the free market. I believe that works best. And government intrusion in that, to me, is only going to mess it up. Plus, take players like – I was just reading an article before we started. At Newcastle, Matty Longstaff, who came through the academy and I believe made his debut was earlier this season. And he still makes less than 1,000 pounds a week. Now, presumably, he lives at home or he lives with his brother who also plays for for Newcastle. But if you take players like that and just cut out 30% or or whatever number you want to institute, I don't think that's right. I think it affects every player and every club differently. I think each club needs to negotiate with their players. I think all of the players need to contribute what it is that they can contribute. Plus, I think they should be able to use it for what they think is best. If footballers want to use it to send to to help out causes back in their home country, if they're not from the UK, I got no problem with that. If they want to help in the local community of the club that they play for because they really 
identify with that, then do that. I think players should be able to give where they want to give. Just like when you go to a restaurant or a bar and you tip, you get to choose how much you tip. And I think the same thing here, that you should be able to help as much as you can and how you want to. Okay, so one of the clubs that hasn't decided to reverse the decision to furlough is Newcastle, which, to be honest, doesn't come as a great surprise when you, <laughs> when you, when you consider Mike Ashley. Now, in the last sort of few hours, this is Tuesday evening UK time, there's a rumour that always rears its head and it's come up again, and that's that Newcastle are finally going to sell under Mike Ashley. Now, Cole, when you consider that Mike Ashley's business is predominantly high street-led, or, you know, the kind of sort of lower-end chain stores, that kind of stuff, could this climate at the moment finally be the time which he thinks that's enough, you know, time to cut the apron strings as it were yeah you, you probably could see that couldn't you because uh, right now that must be a massive milestone on it around his neck mustn't it that suddenly you know you potentially are spending all this money and getting nothing back um so yeah i, I think maybe there is a time as well and and we don't know obviously where we're going to be um, at the end of all this, when this finally kind of like ends and we're back to some normality, you know, there's going to be a massive hit that's going to be, you know, the effects will be felt for quite a while afterwards, you know, businesses that are, you know, possibly going to go to the wayside because of the financial implications that hit us. Um, so maybe, yeah, as you say, Mike Ashley might think, well, you know, listen, now's a time where maybe do I need to be ploughing this money in? Because there's no doubt that football is a rich man's game. And you probably have to put a lot of money in before you actually start getting, you know, decent money back. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there's a right offer comes in and someone's prepared to put the right money on the table. Then it wouldn't surprise me if Mike Ashley suddenly thought, mm, you know what, now could be the real good time to get rid of this. And, and then, you know, I can, we can look again at what we do once everything settles down financially and we're all back up and running as we hope we will be. Yeah, I, f I think you're right. I think obviously Newcastle fans will take this with the biggest pinch of salt going because they've heard this one so many times. I don't think they're even really excited at the moment until it actually happens and actually departs the club, then it will actually finally be confirmed. But like you say, with the way that business is sort of just, well in such an uncertain state at the moment, then it might just be the sort of time he pushes the button once and for all. But moving back to Tottenham, Drew, transfer rumour talk, it's worth so little at this sort of stage of where we are, you know, but it sort of goes on anyway. And Harry Kane has once again been prominent in the past few days and weeks. So I want to get your take on the situation. We've had, um, you know, Levy come out and say that there's not going to be any selling to a domestic rival, but... For you, is it one more season under Mourinho regardless or do you envision him actually moving when this off-season finally comes around? If I'm Harry Kane, I leave. And even he said not too long ago, he's not going to stay at Spurs for the sake of staying at Spurs. And, and I can appreciate that. I think he's given to the club some of his, well, I mean, obviously his formative years as a professional, but also some of his years now in his prime. Obviously, the, the main issue is going to be his injury history. And so I think that's really going to put a lot of clubs off. Plus, who knows how much money they're going to be able to to pay for him in a transfer, but also his wages. Again, though, I think if you're Kane, I think if you're any player right now, this is kind of one of those times where you realize where, you know what, I have to strike when the iron's hot. If Real Madrid or Barcelona or Juventus is coming for me and they're going to offer me time and a half, two times the wages that I get at Spurs – I think Harry Kane has to take that. I think a lot of players are going to be thinking that. They can't wait another year anymore. They have to strike while the iron's hot because, 
not that we're going to have another coronavirus stoppage, but I think it kind of is, who knows what can happen next. And so I think you're going to see a lot of players try and take advantage of, of the money that's coming to them because they won't want to miss it. Uh, I mean, imagine last year, someone who had the opportunity to leave and they said, you know what, I'm going to stick it out one more year and look where they are now. They're kind of stuck. And so I think a lot of players are really going to take this opportunity or, or take this this crisis and try and, and use it as a, as a motivating factor to say, you know what, I can't take any more chances. I can't wait for next year anymore. And so I think for Kane, I would assume, and if I was him, I would be leaning towards leaving Spurs and going where I can make a lot more money. I mean, with your theory, I think you could probably swap Kane for Bamiyang because I think he'll probably be looking at this and thinking, well, do you know what? Like, I need to get back into Europe's elite. And at his age, 30, he's really only got one big move left in him. So you're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. That players will be thinking, well, do I stick to our twist? It's going to be a lot more uh, prominent now. But, Carl, I might as well get your take on the matter also because it's been a few weeks since we last spoke in the Tottenham capacity. So any change in your position? I know the club have said that they won't sell to a domestic rival. But if you're looking for a gap in that statement, does that just or leave the door ajar for a move to a European giant instead? Yeah, I, for whatever reason, I think I think Kane will give it one more season with the whole Mourinho factor, where he might just want to see, you know, okay, is this guy going to possibly do it? The only thing now that we are sitting here saying, and again, this will be the biggest comp, you know, complication for lots of clubs, isn't it? Is the financial one. Now, if there was any fears or thoughts that Spurs might go into the transfer market in the summer and suddenly spend some big money bringing players in that suddenly could build the squad and get us going where we want to be, this happening may have blown all that to pieces because suddenly now the financial situation could be, listen, we're just here to actually stay afloat. We're not going and spending big money now bringing players in because we're not in that financial position to do that now. And again... That could then mean someone like Harry looks and goes, is this squad good enough even next year under Mourinho to do something? Probably not. So that could be a factor if he suddenly then knows that the club can't spend the sort of money it might need to to win something. The only other factor is, will there be a club prepared to pay that money for Harry himself now? You know, Could the club meet that kind of demanding wage? Would Spurs get that money? If we look at you know, Kane, great player, but we now know that this guy is going to have at least one, maybe even more periods throughout the season now with those ankles where he's going to be out for large chunks of that season. Is a club going to be prepared to pay, you know, close to 200 million right now, knowing that you could be bringing a guy in who's actually going to miss quite a big chunk of the season because there's nothing he's going to be able to do to strengthen those ankles. So, you know, that's an injury coming. I really think this is going to all depend where we fall financially for those clubs um if they can spend some money and you know it looks like you can just keep going then i think kane gives us one more season if he knows there's no money now to spend then i think you know we possibly are looking at him pushing the button to leave but where he goes i think he'll want to stay in england because for me i think that premier league goal scoring record is all he's after that's the one i think he he wants to beat and he wants to go down as the greatest Premier League goal scorer. So that only leaves a couple of clubs that can really tap him up and get him. United could be one of them. City could be another. And dare I even say Liverpool possibly could be someone who could be crying out for someone like Harry up front. 
Cool. Imagine that in that trio. If you drop Firmino to the bench and had Kane instead. But I think you're absolutely right in the sense there's two fundamental points. One of them is, is Kane worth 200 million? And with his injury history, probably not. But, you know, you're only worth what someone's prepared to pay. Although, has anyone got 200 million? Like I say, we don't really know. If this crisis goes on longer than we expect, say six months, then people are going to be sort of scratching around. And then Tottenham could maybe use that as a, I don't know, like a barometer to sort of ward potential suitors off. But, you know, we're in such a state of flux, who knows? And that leads us to our next question, Drew, because who knows about the Premier League? We spoke four weeks ago. We're no nearer to a conclusion. The sort of the dates of restarts getting pushed back further and further. So, in all honesty, what's your gut feeling in terms of resolution? Are we creeping towards null and void? No, I don't think so, because there's too much money at stake. And with, you know, if you listen to, to FIFA and UEFA over the past few weeks, when the Belgian league decided to to cancel the remainder of their season and call it quits, I believe it was UEFA, I believe it was UEFA president Alexander Seferin who came out and said, if any other league does that, they won't be able to play in Champions League and the Europa League, which effectively said, we're in control, you guys have to do what we say, because of course, teams or clubs want to play in the Champions League for the money. And if they don't finish their leagues, then they won't be able to do that. So I I think leagues are going to finish in some capacity, whether that's playing out the remainder, whether that's forming some sort of playoff system uh, to determine Champions League and relegation spots. They're going to get it done. Um, I don't think me personally, I don't think that that's really necessary, but I don't think that I think the clubs have been put in a, a situation where they're getting strong-armed, essentially, and, and it's over money. And so I think they're going to do everything they can to please UEFA so they can get Champions League money and, of course, please themselves by putting games on TV and getting that broadcaster money or at least not having to refund it and, and take a cut on it. So I think they're going to continue to do everything they can, and at some point we are going to see a conclusion to the remaining schedule Although to me, it makes no sense because let's say we get to November, December, you know, worst case scenario, and this is still considered the 2019-20 league. That to me is in no way related. That to me would not be, oh, wow, they finished those nine games. Now I'm convinced Liverpool's a good enough team for the champ uh, to win the title. Now I'm convinced, you know, Aston Villa should or should not get relegated. To me... If we're going to take this long of a break, we might as well just cancel the rest of the season because there is no relation between what's two-thirds or three-quarters of the season that's happened and still the remaining fixtures. I understand the integrity arguments and all those different things, but to me, it is completely unnecessary, although, again, I think we are going to see a conclusion to the leagues happen. So, for example, Carl, if we don't say null and void, could you see a scenario where we don't see another ball kicked in this season but all the prizes are handed out. We say Liverpool champions, we freeze the tables and everyone moves about. Could you see that happening? I think the biggest problem we've got there with that is the fact that teams won't have played the same amount of games. I think if you had a situation where in the Premier League, every team had played, say, 20, 20 games now, then I think you could at least turn around and actually say to everyone, well, look, we are unfortunately for yourselves going to take You've all played the same amount of games. The points that you've got are the points you finish with. And basically, you know, unfortunately, if you're in the bottom three, you're down. If you're top, 
and then you're champions. And if you're in the top four, you're in the top four. I think the problem comes that you've got teams that are, you know, got a game in hand and are a point behind who then can say, well, hold on, if you just stop it all now and say where you are is where you are, what about if we won that game in hand? That puts us above that team and then that puts us out of the relegation zone. So I think there's too much mess because I think then the implications that go on in courts and that from that, I think these clubs just kick off such a mess of trying to go claims and everything like that. And I think that's the biggest problem. You know, we can't just go where you are is where you are. For me now, I think the easiest thing, given that, you know, we don't see any football coming back for a while, in my opinion, you know, with all this that's gone on and, the, you know, the horror stories that you're hearing, I do think we'll get to a stage eventually where we will just have to say, you know what, we are just going to have to non-avoid it, unfortunately. Yes, it's horrible for everyone involved, but we're going to just have to go again when the season can kick off again and we get back on schedule, especially when you consider you've got Euro 2021 to then fit in and all the implications of dates and everything around that. You know, I just do see in the end it possibly being voided and then we'll look to start afresh again next season. And, you know, I can see the Carabao Cup taking a sidestep and being pushed out for the FA Cup to get, you know, get the season finished a little bit quicker as well and maybe some changes to some cup competitions where, I don't know, maybe the FA Cup moves forward in the calendar and you scrap replays all the way just to get these games out of the way. But I think the longer this goes on, I think we're edging to a null and void. And basically, everyone, you're back where you are, same places, and we start from we start from scratch again. No one will like it, obviously. Liverpool fans rightly will feel gutted because with no one can deny they are the champions. But obviously, you can't just hand them out the title and forget everybody else. You know, there's lots of clubs that will have an axe to grind if you do that. Do you know what? I think that's exactly the way I look at it. I just can't see football kicking off until, well, I think August if we're lucky, really. And I just feel that, you know, we all want football back. That's not up for debate, but it has to be safe. And I just feel that, do we really want to watch 90 or Premier League games behind closed doors? You know, watching one European tie is bad enough. It's really difficult. Like, I know we, we all are clamouring for the game to come back as soon as we, we, you know, we can hope for. But I just feel like, you know, it's almost a bit of taste in your mouth at the moment when you've got the death count not really easing off and you've got Sky and BT trying to pin down the Premier League to get going again. You just think, well, you know, is it really that necessary in the grand scheme of things? Probably not. But at the same time, Drew, is it a decision that could be taken out of the Premier League hands? Because, you know, UEFA, they're sort of quite steadfast. Everything's got to be done by a certain date. They're going to want some sort of unification, really. Also, when you consider that places for the Champions League of 2021 and the Europa League are going to have to be allocated. So will it be taken out of domestic competition's hands and UEFA say look you know this is it it's finite it's done I don't think UEFA well okay publicly I don't think UEFA is going to do that they're not going to try and pull the strings but behind closed doors I think they are just like you know like we talked about earlier after the Belgian league stopped and UEFA came out and said any any league that does that we are not going to let you play in Europe so I I don't think they're going to set a definitive date that every league has to finish by June 30th or August 31st or whatever it is. But I do think they are telling leagues behind closed doors, you're going to play. You're going to get this done. They may say, look, play your schedule out. They may say for a playoff, we don't care, but you're going to have to finish the season. I do think UEFA is taking control 
behind the scenes. And I think they're doing it behind closed doors because how many times, you know, when they talk about the European Super League, do do people come up and get very upset about that, you know, and talk about how this is going to destroy football and it's killing the game. So I, I think that's why publicly UEFA will not declare that they are in charge. But again, ultimately, I think that behind closed doors, they are telling the leagues that they're that they have to finish, especially because part of the their argument is the only way you can get to Champions League and Europa League is on, you know, sporting merit. And they try to define that as the only way to have sporting merit is to play the full double round robin where every team plays everyone else twice. And so that's another reason that I think leagues are going to force a way to end this season. It may not necessarily be the full remaining schedule, although I do think that's most likely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think UEFA is is quietly trying to guide and, and tell the leagues what they're going to do. I think a big problem is that everyone's coming back in at supposedly different levels. I mean, you've got Belgium have already decided to wrap things up and they'll worry about promotion, relegation and whatever at a later date. Scotland have had the messiest vote ever on trying to finish there. Like, <laughs> I, I could give you about two hours on that. That's absolutely fascinating, but we haven't really got time to go into that. And then the big five are in sort of drips and drabs. So this sort of piecemeal approach, Carl, isn't really sort of helping matters either because what if some sort of finish, some don't, and we're no really sort of better to solving the scenario, are we? Yeah, that's the trouble, isn't it? You, you, you sort of think at some point you may need some sort of, you know, uniform decision across the whole of football. I mean, as well, when you consider that you know, the German league was very quick, weren't they, to just go, that's it, we're null and void in the season, um, you know, we're, we're calling it off and that that's it. Um, they, they were very fast acting um, and they made a strong decision there and then. I think other leagues are just trying to hang on um, and hope. And I think, you know, it is just hope because, as we said earlier, Dan, I can't see nothing kicking off or starting again anytime soon. As much as we're all missing it, I don't think anyone's got the appetite to see football come back, say, at the risk of, you know, hurting things like the health service or, you know, putting people's health at risk, even the footballers' health, you know, because it's all very well and good saying that's play behind closed doors. But you've still got to have a certain amount of people in the inner ground to play a behind closed doors match. You are not having literally just 11 people who are referee and a linesman. You know, that isn't happening. So I just can't see it coming back. And I think all these leagues will just have to come together and make a solid decision at some point on where they stand and, you know, just force the situation and deal with it, you know. But I think they're all just hanging on for, for the hope that possibly in a few weeks' time the situation may have changed restrictions are being lifted and people can get back to doing what they think they want to do but I just think those people are just not being realistic and I think you know that they're just denying what we all know is probably going to come in the end yeah if I could just add one more thing real Absolutely. quick yeah, is you know we, we've been talking about UEFA uh for the most part with this but don't forget you know in in terms of kind of kind of like you're asking and Carl was talking about getting all the leagues together to uniformly, you know, decide on a date or anything, you know, I think it was this week or maybe at the end of last week when FIFA announced that the transfer window is going to change or they're going to move it and it's going to take place between the end of this current season on hold and the beginning of the next one. So so I, I think there is a push 
for all the leagues to try and finish roughly at the same time and then begin next season at the same time. Um, I, I just don't know if it's coming from UEFA. I think FIFA might be pushing that. And that's just another power move between UEFA and FIFA and, and what their you know, beef is between the two of them. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, everyone I think right now is trying to not take power necessarily, but I think everyone is trying to to kind of control what they can and, and get things done in what's kind of their best interest at this point. Because like, like Carl's said a few times, nobody right now has any idea when football is coming back, how it's going to come back and what kind of changes or, or precautions are going to be taken in order to bring, to bring it back. I'll stay with you, Drew, because of course it's not just Europe, which is shutting its football stadiums at the moment. It's the same with the MLS. So what's the state of play there in terms of a scheduled comeback? Could this, see the 40 sorry the 34 game schedule which has been planned condensed into say you know just play each other once regardless of home and away and just have a 25 game schedule instead yeah well you know mls has been saying you know we're targeting this date we're targeting this date just like all the other leagues um but i think today or or yesterday was the first time that the commissioner of the league don garber finally said i believe it was him that, you know what, we may not be able to play all 34 games. We might have to change, amend, and reduce the schedule. I saw another article that was talking about possibly canceling the playoffs. That, I that I think, is far less likely to happen. I think more they would take away from the regular season because I think that's something that MLS wants to keep. It's something that has been successful, the playoff format that they used. And plus, I think that's pretty congruent with American sports, that the regular season is a bit diminished because you have, you know, a certain percentage of teams that make the playoffs, but it does add, you know, the, the, you know, MLS playoffs are kind of the FA cup. It's the knockout tournament. Essentially. I, I know there is the U S open cup, which is purely the, the FA cup version, but in America, but the playoffs kind of take that place and people get very excited for it. They changed the format last season into single elimination. And that was probably the most exciting, most viewed, and most attended, most successful playoffs. And so I think MLS is going to do everything they can to keep that at the end of the season. But they had just said they're going to have to look at altering the season. Um, it might be single round robin. It might be you only play teams in your conference. You know, it's divided east and west right now. Um, they might do something like that. So I think MLS is going to have to make some changes. They're only two games in right now to the season. And so they do have a lot of time, but ultimately they're going to have to make some adjustments. It's just a matter of where they're going to do it. And again, I think it's going to be the season, not the playoffs. Okay, Cole, final question. Actually, I can throw it to both of you, but I'll start with you, Cole. Obviously, there's still European competition to be finished for this season. But when you look at, you know, we can't even get a train or a bus in this country. So how on earth can cross-country travel be acceptable? Therefore, can you even see these two tournaments being concluded in the same time frame that we've just been discussing? Yeah, again, you made a good point, don't you, Dan? You know, if, if there's travel restrictions and then, of course, you will have that factor that will players want to possibly travel at this moment in time, you know, it's okay getting back up and running in your domestic leagues, but then, you know, will the appetite be there to possibly go and travel abroad um, to other countries? And, you know, obviously if you suddenly got drawn, say in Italy at the moment, given, given what's happened out there with this, would you want to go to Italy? Um, 
I wonder if we might see that those competitions just get, you know, probably, you know, missed out for this season and just go, well, okay, that just concentrate on your domestic football right now. We'll scrap these two for this season. And again, we will start those competitions next season because with the fact that team, you know, countries are struggling just to possibly finish their domestic seasons, add in some European competitions with travel and everything like that then there is a real possibility that, yeah, the appetite wouldn't be there for them and, and they just get put to one side for one season. True. anything to add to that? I think it's going to be really tough to have the Champions League and Europa League play out the rest of the time because, I mean, like Carl said, do players want to go out of fear for, for health concerns? And, and, I, and I, I think another thing is, are countries even going to let these teams in? Because... If you have to do a two-week quarantine or whatever it is, people traveling from different countries, you have players now that have gone home to you know Brazil or, or to or to Spain or wherever it is. Well, now they have to get into quarantine just to get back into the UK to train. Then the, then the entire team has to go into a quarantine in in Turkey or, or wherever they're going to have the the end of the Champions League. And so it, it's just going to become this long, drawn-out process where I don't think it's going to be simple, and I. I think, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of barriers to this. And UEFA is going to fight tooth and nail to end the Champions League. However, I do think PR-wise, like we talked about earlier, you know, where whenever talk of a European Super League comes up, people don't like UEFA's stance. They want to see domestic leagues uh, remain. I think this might be a chance for UEFA to concede on one point and try and get some pressure off of them and say, look— we're not trying to take over. Look, we're not even going to play out this year's Champions League. So I think they might actually use it to their advantage PR-wise. And, and or that would be the one reason to not finish out the Champions League and Europa League this season. I think logistically, logistically, this is going to be an epic nightmare for them to figure out. So I don't have high hopes for it. Me neither. Right, okay. I think that's pretty much it for this week. I mean, it's been uh, a really good show. Obviously, there's not been much on-pitch action, but I think we've covered as many topics as possible so just need to do a bit of admin and i need to thank my two co-hosts drew it's been a while admittedly but sterling work as always and an absolute pleasure to chat once more yes well well i'm glad to be back talking to you guys and obviously um thank you guys for, thank you for having us and to everyone out there who's listening be safe we hope you're healthy you're doing good and hopefully you're not going crazy without football and uh everyone be safe out there Cheers, Drew. And Cole, it's been a few weeks, but it's great to have the show back on the road once again. Yeah, really good, Dan. Really enjoyed this. It was good to get that sort of chat in again and, and you know, forget some troubles, aren't we? Um, and like Drew said, you know, everyone, just make sure you keep safe. And if you're listening this sunbathing in a park right now, get your ass home um, and, and stay indoors. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it does go without saying, please stay safe, stay indoors, more importantly, do whatever your government tells you what to do in terms of lockdowns. It sounds silly. It won't be forever. But if we all make this sacrifice, we'll get football back a lot sooner. And with that said, it just needs me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.